We see in this Torah portion a bit of prophecy, and you, there's prophecy all throughout the Bible. And the Lord is, 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 is faithful to reveal the prophetic nature, words beneath the words, revelation beneath what is written. If you seek it, you will find it. And as you read the word of God, he will quicken things for you that go beyond this, the simple, plain sense of the scripture. And in this Torah portion, we see Jacob. Good old conniving, jiving Jacob. <laughs> conniving, jiving Jacob. And he's on his little journey to find and have a very large, very dysfunctional family. And he's on his journey there. And he goes to a certain place. And he puts a rock on the ground. And he has a vision of a ladder going up to heaven from that rock. And angels are going up, and they're going down, and they're going up, and they're going down. Now that place he put that rock is actually the place that the temple was eventually built on. That rock that he put there, which he eventually turned into an altar, is literally the first monument that became the temple. And the temple was the place of God's presence. So, and the temple is in Jerusalem. So when it says that he went to a certain place, if you dig into where that certain place was, that was the first entry of Jacob. His name is Israel. The first entry of Israel into Jerusalem. The place of God's presence. The place where he put his name. The place where he dwells. Here's the prophecy. See, Jacob knew God. His father knew God. His father's father, Abraham, knew God, experienced God, knew the blessings. I better pace or Wendy's going to fall asleep. Good? That's it. Oozing. Abraham knew God. Jacob, his name is Israel, enters into the place of the house of God for the first time. And his first words awakened in, as he awoke in that place, in Jerusalem, the place where God is. Israel's first words are, God is in this place. And I did not know it. This is a prophecy for Israel who knows God, knows the ways of God. But when they are in the house of God and encounter 
the house of God itself, the place where his name dwells. They miss it and say, when they realize it, God is here, and I didn't know it. We see the fulfillment of this as this Torah portion ends and the next one begins when he encounters his brother Esau. Esau is the other son of Isaac, his brother. Hello, when Paul says that the people of God, like the, the, the people of Messiah, are also sons of the promise, sons of Isaac. Jacob, Israel, had a brother who was worldly, fleshly, hungry. Esau, they said, is from Edom. That's because he liked to eat them. So Israel had a brother, Israel, who was in the presence of God and said, quote, unquote, I did not know that God was here encounters his brother, the other son of Isaac, and thought he was going to get killed by him. But Esau embraced him and loved him and showed him kindness and showed him forgiveness. And he went to Esau and said, seeing your face is seeing the face of God. He was in God, the presence of God again and again didn't know it but discovered God through the kindness of his brother. You, who are the Gentiles here, are the brother. You are the brother of Israel. You are also the son of Isaac. Israel, Jacob, thinks you're going to kill him. They don't, he, they don't trust you. They don't even want to spend time with you. But when they see your face, may they say, Seeing your face is seeing the face of God. And introducing, see this prophecy that Jacob didn't recognize God when he was in the presence, when he was in the place of the house of God. You are the house of God. You are the house of God. The day is coming when the Jewish people will look at the people of Messiah. And say, surely, like Jacob said, this was the prophecy, his first words entering into Jerusalem, the place where God dwells. Surely God lives here. This indeed is the house of God. God was his here, and I didn't know it. May our people experience that when they come into the presence of the house of God as Jacob did when he encountered Esau. And he said, seeing your face from the love that you show me is like seeing God himself. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was actually a rabbi. His name was Shaul. That's in Hebrew, Shaul. Shaul. I thought that Unterberger was tough. Shaul. And he was the apostle of the Gentiles. But as the apostle 
of the, of the Gentiles. He never forgot his own people. Never. Every place he went, he went to the synagogue first, and he showed them who Messiah is. Romans 11, starting at verse 11 through 16, he says of Israel, Paul says, I say they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? Far from it, but by their wrongdoing, by Israel's wrongdoing, by the wrongdoing of the jiven conniven Jacob, by their wrongdoing, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their wrongdoing, who's wrongdoing? If their wrongdoing pr proves to be riches for the world, and their failure, who's failure? Riches for the Gentiles, how much more? Say, how much more? How much more will their fulfillment be? I am speaking to you, Gentiles, as much as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify, say magnify, my ministry, magnify my ministry. If somehow, somehow, I may move my own people to jealousy and save some of them. For if their reconciliation, whose reconciliation? Proves to be, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. For if their rejection, rejection, proves to be reconciliation for the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy. Who's the first piece of dough? The lump is also. If the root is holy, who's the root? The branches are as well. As we enter into a time at Mishkan David of increased community, and opportunity to grow together. As Susie and I make our move up to Burlville, which we've renamed for our cats, Purville. Burlville. Is it one of those towns that you gotta like combine the syllables like Worcester not, instead of Worcester? Is it like Burville or is it Burrillville? How many syllables? How many syllables? It's three, Burrillville. 
It's not Burrville. Oh, somebody's, I think somebody's saying it's Burrville. 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 As Susie and I make our move up to Burrville, as we have more opportunity here for enhanced fellowship, I am excited about the men's and women's groups restarting on Zoom because the men need each other. I'm excited about the women having a fellowship now because the women need each other to talk about things that are unique to their experience and their walk with the Lord. I am pumped about the marriage group that is now starting for seven weeks, seven, seven times three months um, because marriage is something that I feel so passionately about. And I hope, marriage, marriage. And I hope that always comes across that I give it all up for my marriage. And there are some really strong marriages in this place, and that is a blessing. And there are some marriages that need some encouragement. So I am really excited about the opportunity to come together and grow as couples together. And I see more and more of these topical studies sprouting up this year because this is going to be a year of enhanced community at this place where it's not just going to be a Sabbath service and we go about our day. It's going to be the Sabbath service, but it's also going to be opportunities for us to grow and learn from each other. There is a reason that Susie and I are moving up here because we don't want to miss a thing. And this is what God is going to do and is doing. But... I want to talk about, as we do these things, I want to talk about what the scripture calls magnifying our ministry. Because there could be many reasons that we come into a Messianic Jewish congregation, and there are many people, of course, that believe in, the, in, in Yeshua, in Jesus, that have want nothing to do with a Messianic congregation, which is perfectly fine as well. But according to Paul, the magnification of ministry was when he was able to bring Jacob to the Lord. And as we magnify our community together, I want to speak visionary and foundationally that if we neglect the reality of showing and revealing Yeshua to my people, to my people, then we've forgotten something very, very foundational in this place. To reveal Yeshua to Jacob. Canivan Jivan. <laughs> Jacob. To the Jew first and then to the Greek. There is uh, a story we know in the book of Ruth. And I've, I've shared the, re, the, the revelation of that here before, where uh, it, the book of Ruth starts with two characters. It starts with uh, Elimelech and Naomi, and they're married. Elimelech and Naomi. But if you break it down to the Hebrew, Elimelech is my God, the king. That's what Elimelech means. And Naomi has the word Ami written in it, which is my people. So we may see... Elimelech, a person married to Naomi, a person, but if you break it down to the Hebrew, it's God married to his people, Israel. But Elimelech dies. God, of course, never dies, but we see a separation of his people. 
and of, to him. And Naomi, who represents Israel, is in a desolate, broken place. Her two daughter-in-laws represent two types of Christians. There's Orpah, who just said, see you, Naomi, I'm going back to my own people and my own my old ways. I'm going back to where I came from, Moab. But Ruth, the other daughter-in-law, clung to Naomi and said, where you go, I go. Your people are my people. And she would not let Naomi, who represents Israel, be alone. Right? It was that daughter-in-law who entered into a relationship with Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. Hello, Yeshua, the kinsman redeemer of the family of Elimelech. Hello, son of God. It says... She enters into covenant with him and she gleans from his field and brings it back to Naomi who represents Israel. And Naomi's like, where did you get this blessing from? And and Ruth goes, it's from your kinsman redeemer. And then Naomi goes, I know that guy. He's mine. He's of my family. This is the role of the Gentile believer, a role, to show kindness, to show love, to grab on to the people of God, to the Jewish people, and show them, you are the house of God. Who is the one that lives within you? Let them see him through your love of them, through your kindness, through your connection to him and to them. And that is a foundational thing here. So as we go forward, now there is, you know, you cannot put connive and jive and Jacob into a box. You can't say, this is how you share the Lord with a Jewish person. You can't do that because every Jewish person is different. I got contacted this week or Two weeks ago, maximum, by a, a Jewish woman who contacted me and said, you know, I've been praying to Jesus since I was a child. I just feel that he helps me. So you don't know. Every, you know. But there is primarily an aversion to Jesus, primarily. Jewish people are primarily have, primarily have an aversion to it. So as we conclude... The marriage study, which is only going to be for three months, every other week for three months, once that concludes, I think it's a blessing to kind of time box these things. You know, you don't have this open-ended commitment forever and ever. It's good to say, we're going to do it for three months and we'll reassess. Um, After that is done, I'm already feeling very excited about a new study that I'm going to run, and it's called um, Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus. And we're going to learn a lot. And this is something that I've been studying since day one of my salvation. And let me explain a story which you may not know about me. So uh, when Susie and I met, I was an atheist. I'm Jewish, but I'm an atheist. And people don't understand what that means because it's, it's almost like saying I'm a Christian and an atheist. People don't understand that. Well, in Judaism, Jewish is not just a belief system, a belief in God, but it's also a lineage. Just like you can be like Italian and an atheist, right? Because Jewish is also the lineage going back to Canive and Jive and Jacob, right? So it's also a nationality as well as a religion. So you can feel very passionate about your nationality and your heritage, but not believe in God. And that's where I was. 
In comes Esau, Susie, shows me the love of God. I accept the Lord in a messianic synagogue. Now, I never went to church. I was never a churchgoer. I did not accept the Lord in a Christian church. Susie and I went to the messianic Jewish synagogue as a compromise so I can like have Passover and she can have Jesus. Because I wasn't interested in that and Jesus. And she's like, I, I'm, I'll celebrate Passover with you if that keeps Jesus in the house. So we actually went on, online, went to a, onto the internet, and this was literally like when the internet was brand new. This is in the mid-90s, and the internet was literally brand new. And I remember it was the, like Yahoo was just out. And uh, the, 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 that was like the big search engine of the time. It was before there was such a thing as Google, the other search engine of the time was called uh, Alta Vista, which went away. Hasta la vista, Alta Vista. Gone. Um, but anyway, Yahoo was just coming out, and I remember putting it in the search engine saying, Judaism plus sign Christianity to see what would pop out. And out popped this thing called Messianic Judaism, where, like, you can be Jewish and believe in Jesus. And not only that, Jesus is Jewish. It's like putting him back into his reg original context. Like, like what? Like... And as a Jew, I'm like, you mean this guy on the statues is actually a Jew? Like this guy on the statues or this guy like hanging on the crosses on the, on the, on the churches is actually like a, like a, a, a Torah observant Jewish man, rabbi? Like his name really wasn't Jesus, it was Yeshua. Like a very common Jewish name means Joshua. Like he's the Messiah, not just Mr. Christ. Like you tend to think like Jesus Christ, Jewish people are like, okay, his first name was Jesus. Last name Christ. So yeah, I started to learn these things. So Susie and I went, entered into the Messianic congregation. Not, I didn't believe yet. It was just as a compromise so she can have her Jesus and I can have my Passover. But anyway, it was through coming to the Messianic synagogue that me, a Jew who didn't believe in anything, saw something, saw something. Remember, provoke them to jealousy. And I saw something here. Well, this was in the New Jersey congregation, in the Messianic synagogue, that I did not see when I did go to synagogue as a kid. I saw people that really loved God authentically. I remember this one time when this one Orthodox Jewish, do you know anybody Orthodox Jewish looking guy was, you know, screaming, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. And right next to him was just like, Spanish Christian dude going hallelujah, you know, with the vibrato and the ooh, you know, hallelujah, hallelujah, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, hallelujah, you know, and I was like, boy, these guys are like really connecting with this God thing, like I don't remember that growing up, and it started to pierce my atheist conniving jiving heart. So, I eventually accepted the Lord. So let me explain where I'm going with this answering Jewish objection. So I eventually accepted the Lord, and it was a beautiful experience. And I told Susie, and she's weeping. You know, we had this wonderful experience. So now I'm a believer, and um, I go to my mother, who was really unhappy. Now, this is very important, because I'm talking about the objections that Jewish people have. 
When I first told my mother, even before I was a believer, that I was going to a Messianic Jewish synagogue, she flipped out that Jesus was being brought into the life of her son. She flipped out. At the end of the day, she didn't even come to our wedding. My father didn't come to our wedding. My grandmother didn't come to our wedding. It was a very, very challenging time because even if you are a Jewish atheist, if you accept Jesus in a lot of, you can't generalize, it's not, doesn't, it's not in every single person or every situation, but uh, yeah, you can generalize, but in general, if a Jew accepts Jesus, it's like they committed the unforgivable sin. It's really, really hard. And there are reasons for that. And I got news for you. Like this, this, the general storyline is Jews rejected Jesus. And that's what you get out of the Bible. The Jews rejected Jesus. That is a lie. That is a lie. It says in the book of Acts that tens of thousands of Jews believed in him. And they were all zealous for the Torah, it says. Like these are like religious Jews. Lots of Jews believed. It was the, the movement the Nazarene Jewish movement, the ones who believed in Jesus in the first century was a large Jewish movement. They contended with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these other Jewish uh, sects, S-E-C-T-S, sects. They contended with them. The Nazarenes was a very large sect. A lot of Jews believed in Jesus. Jewish people did not, in general, reject Yeshua. But they did reject Christianity. That's very hard for people to hear. They don't understand that, okay? But when Christianity evolved as a, as a Gentile religion where they put the Jewish root of our faith to the, to the curb and Passover was replaced with Easter and Saturday Sabbath was replaced with Sunday. Do you know there's not a single place in the New Testament, not one, that changes the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday? Not one. And I don't, I don't care about Sunday worship. I don't care. It's not a major worship any day of the week. But, but a change of the Sabbath is a change of God's law. And you think that, like, because it talks about the first day of the week in, like, two places in the New Testament. And it's complete mistranslation to think that, like, they stopped. It's quite the opposite. It says they went into the temple. They went on, on Saturday. They integrated with the Jewish community there. Early Christianity was integrated with Judaism. Early Christianity was integrated with Judaism. It wasn't just a separate religion. But over time, it became a separate religion where the root of the faith was kicked to the curb. That is what Connive and Jive and Jacob rejected. But... There are ways of talking to a Jewish person about their objections, about very serious topics. So when I first became a believer, it was bad enough when to my mother, God bless her, please pray for her. Um, she's in Israel and she suffers even now with some, some, some stomach ailments that she's trying to figure out. So keep her in prayer. My mother, um, um, Malka Bat Tova, my mother. Um, Keep her in prayer in Israel. She lives in Beersheba, which we, I think we just read about in the Torah portion. Um, it was bad enough for her. It was tough enough for her when I became, when I entered the Messianic synagogue as an atheist. When I told her I believed in Jesus, 
It was really, really hard. So she found an organization called the Counter-Missionaries, or the Anti-Missionaries. Has anybody ever heard of the Counter-Missionaries or the Anti-Missionaries? These are Orthodox Jewish groups trying to get people like me out of places like this. Okay? That is their role. Counter-missionaries, anti-missionaries, they got answers to everything. But they're important to understand because they're biblical answers. Through that time, I was just a believer. I was a believer for a few months. It caused me to dig into the scripture like mad and counter this stuff. And these are important issues. And I wound up documenting all these things. I thought it was going to be my ministry. You know, but it got, you know, just life went on. But I am excited as we come together more as community um, to reopen all those things and to, and to understand the mindset of a religious Jew and why they have trouble with a divine Messiah when the scripture says God is not a man. These are very important challenges. And it's important to understand how to answer that if we are in conversation with a religious Jew who follows the Bible. So I'm excited about that. So I want to speak over this place the reality to not forget the people of God, the Jewish people, and the foundational ministry that a Messianic synagogue has of revealing Yeshua to the people of God. Because Paul said it's a little bit different with them. It's not just exactly like sharing the Lord with somebody else. It's that when Israel receives their Messiah, it's salvation, it's resurrection, life from the dead. If their rejection of Yeshua was salvation for the world, how much will their acceptance be but life from the dead? See, the connection and the reconnection of Israel, Jacob, with the Messiah is linked to his coming. It's linked to the reconciliation of the entire world. It's always prophetic when a Jewish person accepts the Lord. And I don't want to forget that. And I just want to end with the words again from Paul from Romans 9. I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I, and listen to this, I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my countrymen, my kinsmen, according to to the flesh. Paul was willing to give up his salvation to save them. It's the same thing that we see with Moses. When God said from the mountains, like, I'm going to take them out. And Moses said, if they're not going, I'm not going either. See, Yeshua said, greater, there's no greater love than laying down your life for a friend. Imagine if you view life as eternal life. Imagine there's no greater love than laying aside your promise of eternal life. That's tough to hear. 
But don't worry, it's a trick, because those who lose their life will save it. So don't worry about that. But that love and passion that Paul had for his countrymen, I want to speak over this place. As I believe we're entering into a new phase of learning and growing together, if we forget the foundation of the salvation of Israel, we've lost our focus. So I want to speak that over this place. In Yeshua's name, amen.